Welcome to More to Come, PW Comics World's weekly podcast about comics and graphic novels. I'm Heidi McDonald, the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. And you can find us on all social media at, at PW Comics World. That's Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr even. Uh, and don't forget, you can always leave us a rating and let us know whether you love this podcast or you like this podcast. So uh, give us some ratings. So today, I'm super happy to be talking to Axel Alonso, the man, the legend, the chief creative officer of AWA Studios. Hi, Axel. Hey, how are you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. It's great to have you on. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been struggling with technical difficulties, but we're finally uh, here. You know, it doesn't matter how long. You do this. Uh, there's always a new, a new wrinkle. Uh, but Axel, you are speaking of which, uh, AWA Studios is a company that I believe launched in March 2020 with a comic about a pandemic. Uh, do I have that right? That is correct. That is correct. Uh, uh, J. Michael Straczynski and Mike Diodato wrote a series called The Resistance, which is the origin of a shared universe for the 21st century that was written prior to COVID such that the first issue was completed in stores the day that the the store shut down (laughs) and the country shut down. So talk about prophetic. I mean, the way it happened is that when we started the company, we wanted to create our own work, but we also wanted to create a shared universe that was rooted in today. You know, the Marvel heroes are are mostly the 60s and 70s. The DC heroes are the 40s and 50s. So you wanted heroes around the world they reflected today mm. the zeitgeist of today so I talked with Justizinski about this saying look we want to build a shared universe would you be interested he said I sure would be and I, my idea was I thought it would be good to have a, a race of superheroes that are created by a tragedy of some sort so they're, they're united they have one origin story they're all born a new race of superheroes is born in the aftermath of a tragedy Without missing a beat, he said, it should be a pandemic. Thanks, JMS. And he he said, basically, no one's scared of nuclear war now. That's not the fear now. The fear is the super flu that mutates and can't be beat. So hence was the great death, which is a pandemic and the resistance. Mm Mm-hmm. So imagine our first issue is in stores and people can't get to it because the stores are shut it. <laughs> right. Well, um, obviously, um, you know, looking forward there and uh, picking a really great obstacle, a really great storytelling vehicle there, you know, global pandemic. Uh, little did we know. Who'd have thought? Yeah, who'd have thought? Yeah. Well, I, I want to come back to that and um, because obviously AWA did launch at an incredibly dramatic time and, you know, just as the comic shops are shutting down and I know you guys um, did a bunch of things to react to that. Um, but, of course, you know, of course now things are back in the, back in the stores and um, I know – uh, you have a bunch of, of, of different series that tie in with this, with this uh, shared universe, including uh, Erratic, yeah. right? Correct. Yes. And that is a, uh, that is actually a young adult series? Yeah, I mean, it's just, basically it's the same rating as Spider-Man, Amazing mm-hmm. Spider-Man. You know, it's uh, all ages, all ages. Should be a fun read for an adult, but also for kids. The, the thing I'm putting about it is not much your readers. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> When we built the shared universe, we wanted it to be a world in which heroes are born under a clouded tragedy. So whether they're from Schenectady or Zimbabwe, 
they're linked. The same way the mutants and the, and the Marvel Universe are linked, you know, we're, we're, no matter where they're from, they're linked like they're a family. Mm-hmm. We wanted our heroes to be born under a cloud of tragedy that would have them, uh, to a degree, hated and feared by the, popul- by the, by, by the world. Mm-hmm. Are they responsible for the pandemic or not? Right. They don't know themselves. Are, am I a harbinger of, of good or bad? Yeah. What am I? Where am I? Where am I from? So the heroes all have the same existential question. Most importantly, they're born. They have one origin story. So when you when you start a book, your hero, your character, shares the same origin story as the other characters born born to the great death. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have to come up with some convoluted story about. How you're walking down the street, you got you got bit by a radio, radioactive gerbil. Yeah, yeah, or, or hit hit by a canister of radioactive uh, waste exactly. like Daredevil, which is a bit of a stretch, but yeah, sure. Yeah, none none of, none of that was necessary because basically you've got one origin story, so you can focus on telling the story of your character, who they are, how they feel about their situation, how they're dealing with their powers, and so Erratic was one of the first entries into the book. We had we had we had a summit in LA where we discussed ideas for stories. And I mentioned to the group, which included J. Michael Straczynski, Roger Hedlund, Margaret Stoll, and Greg Horowitz, that uh, Corey Andrews had a great idea for a book called Erratic. And uh, it just so happened that Straczynski and uh, Stoll had been doing research on Generation Z. What matters to Generation Z is different than what mattered to you or me when we were kids. Right. What is the world they live in and what is what is the anxiety now? And in broad strokes, Generation Z has the world at their fingertips with, the, with their iPhones and their cellular devices. So they've got access to all any and all information and entertainment, but very few job prospects. And a very uncertain world, mm. which has become only more uncertain post-COVID. And, and we're in a world now where essentially we've got a Russian oligarch is, is essentially invading a sovereign territory and being applauded by American patriots. <laughs> What could be what could be a so-called patriot? Well, you know when you yeah, you know when you were talking about you know people who are feared and hated by the populace. You know, you could have just had it about uh, nurses who give vaccinations. Um, you know, yeah, there's exactly. your feared and hated. Uh, you know, so I, I I'm wondering, uh, I, I, you know, JMS J. Michael Straczynski uh, obviously is an incredibly distinguished career. You know, co-created or created uh, Babylon Five, which is really ahead of its time as far as uh, you know storytelling and TV. I mean, it it was binging before there was binging. And, uh, and, uh, you know, he's written a lot of great comics and just, you know, novels, everything. He's done it all. He's a world builder. He's Mm -hmm. a world builder who also pays close attention to what's going on in the world right Mm -hmm. now. Right. He's he's always aware of what's going on and thinking about the future, where we're headed, which, which shaped the resistance. And of course, leaks into the other books by the other, other creators. Right. So, but, but I'm actually really curious. So this launched, uh, you know, literally March 20th, 2020, the just, you know, yeah. exactly when we went into lockdown. And, um, did you have, uh, erratic already on the books? I mean, how did, how did the stories in this, the resistance universe uh, change as we actually went through a pandemic? Well, I mean, uh, the thing is that they were definitely influenced by what was going on in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, when Straczynski wrote The Resistance, the, the premise was that the world would be reeling from the aftermath of a pandemic 
And so the heroes would be fighting against fascism that is born of fear. Mm-hmm. Sound familiar? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Fascism is on the rise because people are scared, they're angry, and they want to find a scapegoat. And our heroes are the convenient scapegoat mm-hmm. of the moment. So in that world, people have different different stories to tell. Coriantus had an idea for doing a young hero because every every universe needs a young hero mm-hmm. on their own. But his his, his, his his character, Oliver Leaf, is a 16-year-old boy who, Generation Z, <clears throat> who essentially moves to a new town with a single mother and his older brother, only to learn that the job his mom came from is not, doesn't exist. It was a scam. And essentially, he has his powers now, super cool powers, but the problem is there's a catch. Mm-hmm. He can only use them for 10 minutes a day. <laughs> he can only use them for 10 minutes a day. So he's got to really pick carefully when he uses them, because if he doesn't get the job done in 10 minutes, they go away and he stole it. Mm-hmm. Wow. So like, everything, so like everything else in this boy's life, it's fleeting. He doesn't even have control of his powers fully. Mm-hmm. They're here one minute, they're gone the next. Which is a fascinating premise for, for a book about a Generation Z hero. Uh, and yeah. also, unlike Peter Parker, Oliver Leaf doesn't have an Aunt May. He doesn't have an Aunt May. He's on his own. Mm-hmm. He has to figure things out by himself. His mom is doing the best she can, but she's, she's, she's in, over her, in over her head and struggling. And so Oliver has to kind of raise himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, again... You know, a documentary or a comic book. <laughs> um, yeah. Axel, what I want to get back to this, but let's back up just a little bit. Um, you know, you and I worked together way back, you know, 20 years ago uh, at Vertigo. Vertigo yeah. Yeah, yeah, but 20 years ago. Holy shit. Uh, excuse me, Kate. I'm sorry. going to have to believe yeah. that. Yeah. 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 But um, and then you left to work at Marvel. You were the editor in chief of Marvel Comics for a while, and which uh, must have been a, so much fun. And um, at AWA, uh, you are getting back. It's kind of a cross, like you said. You're doing kind of some, you know, shared universe stuff, but you're also working with creators to do original creator-owned, um, creator-owned material. Which you you know, I mean, I. I, I you know, Marvel had this brief period of doing things like the Icon line, I believe, and uh, yeah. it was called. So, you know, they had some of the some of the stuff, and uh, but you know, it wasn't the fo. I would say it wasn't the focus by the time you got to be editor. Yeah, no, Marvel, Marvel, Marvel flirted with creator owned, but ultimately, it was not a creator owned company. Right, Marvel didn't own own half of anything, so it was very much, very much about building the Marvel universe. And my job with Editor in Chief was to build a Marvel universe and to maximize the characters. I laughed because back at Marvel, I did all sorts of stuff like Isaiah Bradley, the first Captain America, mm-hmm. for which I received death threats. I was I pioneered Miles Morales, you know, got behind mm-hmm. Kamala Khan, you name it, the female four, mm-hmm. Jane Foster, and I got murdered by the by the fanboys. They hated me, the hardcore fanboys, because they said I was ruining their childhoods. And this was not this is not my Spider Man. This mm-hmm. is not my um my Captain America, and then I turn around and I see is is Kevin Feige just strip mining all this stuff in movies now. <laughs> so I guess, I guess I wasn't that far off, right? Right, right. You know, I mean, yeah. I got a call one day from a friend who said, "You're not going to believe this." On Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Isaiah Bradley just showed up, and I said, "Oh my God, I can't believe it!" I almost cried because mm-hmm. that was my baby back mm-hmm. in 2000 mm-hmm. when yeah. I, I did this book about a man named Isaiah Bradley with Robert Morales, late Robert Morales and Kyle Baker. 
because I didn't buy the origin of, of, of Steve Parker. I see mm. Steve Rogers. I didn't believe that he was going to be um, the U.S. military in the, in the 40s would have experimented on white boys. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. So using the, the Tuskegee Airmen, uh, no, no, sorry, the Tuskegee Syphilis experiments, I, I, I just concluded that we need to tell a story about the real history of Captain America. And then Robert Morales wrote it, of course, and um, Kyle Baker drew it, and it was an amazing work, very controversial in its day, ultimately celebrated. Mm-hmm. But to see it on TV now, 23 years after I got death threats, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, uh, and and it is, I, I mean, obviously there's, um, you know, just to use Lady Thor as an example, I mean, uh, that just touched off uh, an incredible... Uh, vitriol from people on the internet and oh, yeah. Twitter and, and you know, now Taika Waititi is an artist. He's, you know, Thor Love and Thunder, which hopefully I'm seeing this week. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, uh, Jane Foster, uh, N- Natalie Portman as Lady Thor is probably going to become a beloved character. You know, she's going to be just doubt. part I mean, of the. And just you wait, just you wait. <laughs> Shuri. Shuri's going to be the next Black Panther on the big screen. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. A multi-million-dollar character. I did that with Reggie Hudlin and Ken Lashley, you know, back in the day. And people yelled and screamed about that as well. But again, she's tailor-made to wear the suit now. Mm-hmm. It's inevitable. Now, right. once again, you know, seeing the possibilities of the characters, seeing the possibilities of these characters to appeal to different audiences and cross over to different audiences was, was one of the things I was proud of. Right, right. Well, absolutely, and you, you totally should be. Um, and you know, you got to work with some incredible creators on all this stuff. You know, yeah. JMS and Jason Aaron and Reggie Hudlin and you know, uh, G Willow Wilson. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. And uh, you have reunited with some of them at AWA, correct? Yeah, yeah, quite a few of them. Yes. Yeah, and um, you know, I always joked at Vertigo that um, I mean. You know, when you're talking to a writer about it, it, it does seem that, you know, Vertigo writers, the classic Vertigo writers were just really well versed about what was going on in the world and had so yeah. many ideas about it. And, um, you know, you're still able to do that at AWA. I mean, they're still coming up with, uh, some really amazing concepts and amazing, um, amazing stories. Uh, there was another one that I believe came out this year is Primos. Yeah, Al Madrigal, Al Madrigal. Yeah, yeah. Al, Madrigal. Yeah, Al Madrigal. is a good friend of mine. He's a, he's the, the, uh, he was a correspondent on The Daily Show. He's an actor, a screenwriter, and, and stand-up comedian, very popular. Mm-hmm. He's also, like myself, a Mexican. He's half Mexican, mm-hmm. with a, with a Korean wife. So we're just the same guy. We went to, <laughs> we went to the same high school. Wow. A few years apart. But he, he did a book for me called Primos, with, with Carla Barberi, which is Mexican superheroes, which are sorely lacking in the world right now. I know better than anyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, when I was at Marvel, you know, I was behind getting uh, uh, Robbie Ray as a, as, a, as a new ghostwriter, you know, the Latino mm-hmm. lowrider ghostwriter. Again, controversial, but made its way onto the Shield show. But because I did that partly because I felt like Mexican heroes are, are sorely lacking at Marvel and DC. Mm-hmm. I mean, White Tiger and Blue Beetle, really? <laughs> so the thing is, you know, uh, having. The opportunity to create superheroes that are rooted in, in Mexi- Mexican mythology. Mm-hmm. Right. We had a very great, very great response to that as a comic book and also as IP. Mm-hmm. Movies you, and TV. You know, so many the, people are intrigued by this. You know, in the first issue, though, you wrote about how when you were a kid growing up, your favorite Marvel character was Black Panther. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Well, he had the coolest suit. He had no powers. I was mildly, mildly irritated he wasn't Mexican because mm-hmm. I related to him. What I loved about him is it always felt like he, he crashed the party. He wasn't invited. Mm-hmm. I love that about the character, which is why I was always passionate about the Black Panther back in 2000. Because a lot of people now that pretend that they love the Black Panther forever, mm-hmm. they did not. There was crickets to Black Panther when I went to Marvel. No one gave a shit about Marvel, mm-hmm. about Black Panther. Now everybody acts like they were down from day one. Right. They weren't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh-huh. that was an inter- I mean, it was an interesting period, obviously. Um, and you know, we'll talk, I, I, just to be, you know, completely upfront, I, uh, AWA co- was co-founded by a couple different people. I mean, yourself and Bill Jemis, who was at Marvel during that time. And, um, yeah. you know, and also, I'm going to forget the name of the third person, Miller, uh, Jonathan Miller, Jonathan Miller who's, um, a lawyer, I believe. But, you know, and, and, uh, Bill just left AWA and, um, yeah. but, and at the same time, Joe Casada, who was, the editor-in-chief prior to you and the chief creative officer yeah. also left. And, you know, there's been kind of this, this um, you know, re, re, you know, looking at, reviewing or, or the, that whole, you know, aughts at Marvel and just talking about uh, it was very controversial, the whole, that whole decade, very, very controversial, but just how much, you know, foundational, seminal stuff was being done at that time. Very adventurous. I mean, I think I think it was a very exciting period of time because Marvel was really in bad straight, in bad shape. So we we had to we had to swing for the fences and, and take chances, which is always exciting. <clears throat> we had a really really great group of people, and and a large and really you know prosperous rolodex of talent that wanted to get on board and to do Marvel books that we hadn't been done before. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was bringing my skills as a Vertigo editor to Marvel telling the kinds of stories that I would have told at Vertigo only with Marvel superheroes. Captain America was espionage. Hulk was horror. Thor was dark fantasy. You get it. Mm-hmm. You know, wide variety of stuff. So, so it's not just a bunch of people in spandex fighting bad guys telling stories telling stories about the world that lean into a particular genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And But as you said, they, they've really had staying power. And um, I mean, it is... It's, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, annoying is the world. I mean, I love Taika Waititi. I mean, I, again, I can't wait to see Thor Love and Thunder. But it is funny how, yeah. you know, once Kevin Feige says it's cool, everybody thinks it's cool. Well, what I would say is this. What I would say is, is like this. The ideas were always cool, which is why Kevin Feige recognized it. Right. Because I thought those ideas were worth doing because I wasn't trying to tell stories for the uber fanboy, the conservative fanboy who wanted – Comics to stay exactly the same way that they always were. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to tell stories about comics about comics. I wanted to tell stories about the world. I wanted the Black Panther to be celebrated for what he was. You know, again, I wanted—I thought he was the coolest superhero out there. Why not just, you know, you know, show the world? Mm-hmm. I think what yeah. Kevin Feige did is he—what he, he, Kevin Feige did is he validated the fact that these characters were always right, relevant. right, absolutely. But putting Isaiah Bradley into the Captain America, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, he validated the idea. That, that someone like Isaiah Bradley would have existed in the world uh-huh. before, before Steve Rogers. He bought the history. It's very flattering to me to see that happen. It's, it's more validating than flattering, actually. Right. It's validating right. because I knew when I was doing it, it was the right thing to do because I was thinking about the world, not the small community of, of comic book fans who wanted things to stay the same all the time. Right. And so to see Kevin, Kevin recognizes that's the case. So he's out there doing big, big stuff, big ideas. 
and people are, are now they're eating it up. And it's reaching a larger audience who's saying, look, we like, we love it. Right. And people are going to freak out when they see Gene Foster, though, I can tell. <laughs> I can't wait to black, sure he has a black panther. That's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I bet my, my, my mortgage on it. Right, right. Um, and, you know, even what you just said about, you know, you as, as being, you know, half Mexican and, and, you know, really liking Black Panther. And, you know, that's the thing. I, it's just, why not have characters for everybody? And, um, you well, know, some all, people don't like that at all. Some, a lot of people I, don't like that at all. I they're, know. They're angry about the very idea that they would be heroes for everybody. You know, they're angry that, um, they see change. They don't like it. I'm glad to be out of that world where I have to take fire for stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because, well, um, you know, again. Yeah. Um, well, so at AWA, you started out with a blank canvas. And, um, I do think, let's, let's go back though to, um, to, well, you know, let's, let's get a little shape of where you are right now. I mean, you have a whole staff of editors. I mean, how many titles does, does AWA put out in a month? Uh, we typically have between five and seven mm-hmm. titles per month. There's always a new issue one. On occasion, there's two issue ones in a new month, launches in a month. And, uh, our, our, the books we put out have two categories. There's the shared universe titles, of which there are just a few, which are characters that live in the same world, the world that was created by Jim Michael Szynski. That includes the resistance and its sequels. Erratic, Knighted, The Joneses, and others to come. Um, and then the other category is just creator-owned work. Stories that exist in their own universes. And they span and blend genres. You name the genre, we've, we've done it. I've got a, I've got a feminist sci-fi western called Redemption by Krista Faust and Mike Diodato. You know, again, mm-hmm. I've got a American Ronin. Which is a which is a, a science fiction espionage book by Peter Milligan and ACO. Primos, which is Mexican superheroes by Al Madrigal and Carla Barberi. So we, we span and blend genres, and uh, it's a wide variety of talent, both established and well known, and newcomers like John Lee's, who did Hotel for Me, a little creator on book, a little horror anthology about a hotel where people go, they check in take their last dance against the demons that haunt them. Uh-huh. We just announced that we have a, we have a, a director is adapting it, is adapting it as a screenplay to direct as a movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, you do, we well, you do have a very, uh, just a couple things that, um, obviously it's, you know, it's 2022 and you have, uh, you know, someone who is actively shopping AWA out in Hollywood, you know, developing it for yeah. media. But I, I just, you really have some, I mean, you know, newcoming talent, but you have some, you know, fantastic talent here. Mike Diodato and, um, you know, Kari Garth Andrews, Ennis. Garth Ennis. And, you know, the artists on these books are, are absolutely, um, top notch and they, they look fantastic. Um, do, but you also do, since this is Publishers Weekly, if we don't ask this, uh, I'll get yelled at, but, uh, you also do graphic novels. You do collections. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, but everything does come out in periodical form first, right? So far that's been the case, but that might change. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. That might change. Yeah. Right. Well, that brings me to the, 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 the current atmosphere because, um, there is obviously on the beat I run a, 
columns by retailers and there's just been a lot of talk lately about the periodical and you know whether it is even financially viable given some of the outside forces of like shipping costs and you know we're going through the the supply chain and all that so yeah i mean uh, where do you see the, the 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 place of the comics periodical these days well, I mean, I think that the periodical at this moment is still vital to the, to the success of any publisher. I think that having having the book that comes out once a month as as an impulse read, you know, you know, a must read, is still part of our business right now. Mm-hmm. But I also think we're going to experiment with doing just OGNs as well, because mm-hmm. there's some stories we're doing that just are going to be better digested and sold as one full graphic novel, where the story's told in one sitting, you know. Mm-hmm. Beginning, middle, and end. So again, I think that for now, I think the periodical is alive and well. I think as long, I think that what people always forget about comics is that it's a collectible. Collectability is part of the DNA of comics, mm-hmm. the experience of comic books. And so the idea that you can buy, you know, a, a floppy, as they're called sometimes, a comic book, is still part of the, still part of the, the passion for the fan. The graphic novels are are, are, are heating up. Obviously, I see how. how Edward Baker and Sean Phillips go straight to graphic novel with their work, mm-hmm. and it works out for them. They've got a steady following of people. So again, I think you're going to see more and more of that as as, uh, as comics continue to grow. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 as we talk about on this podcast all the time. There's there's more channels. There's more formats. There's more formats and more channels, and there's more, and that's great. And I, you know, how. I, I do want to, to to go back to March 2020 though, because you did do a lot of um, like you know emergency ac- actions because uh, yeah, as- what we did was very simple. We realized that we were a new publisher whose books had hit stores that were shuttered. So what we did is we, we took the gamble that if we if we released these titles for free digitally for people to read, people could see the quality of the books. They'd get buzz going, and they would see we're well, not just another publisher, mm-hmm. but for real. So if they get a preview, we show them what we're doing. We also did, we did a book called called A Now, which is a black and white um, black and white uh, preview book for the retailers as well, so they could they could order the books having read them in advance. Mm-hmm. So the chance they could read the entire book to decide do I want to buy this book, as opposed to just trusting it's going to be good. So we did a digital. We did uh, webtoons uh, versions of all of our books. People read them and liked them, and so when the stores reopened sooner than we'd anticipated, the books were off the shelves, mm-hmm. and we off to a good start. We off to a good start. Right, right. Well, that's very bold. I mean, you know, there was so much. It was such a crazy time. I mean, you know, the whole world was crazy, <laughs> but it was so crazy for the comics industry because. Uh, you know, the comics weren't available. And I noted at the time that AWA was really being very groundbreaking by, by going right to webtoons. And, you know, that's not something that a lot of publishers did. I mean, I think there was like, like, I, I think a lot of publishers were doing digital sampling at that time, obviously. But, uh, you know, you guys just had the, had the misfortune to have the worst possible timing. But, but, See, well, uh, the, the gamble was, the gamble was, the naysayers could say, well, if you release it for free, and they read it, they won't buy it later. Mm-hmm. I didn't buy that. I thought the most important thing was that people could see the quality of the books. Read the quality of the books, decide then and there. Is this something when it comes out in print, I want or not? And it worked, it worked out. 
you know, right. people, people enjoy what they read. And so when the stores reopened, the book sold very well, especially the resistance in year zero, which are big hits. So we're very happy about, about that. And again, we didn't talk about digital because again, we talked about graphic novels. Digital is also a component of the industry. We always asked, you know, what's going to happen? Is digital going to take over? Well, digital will be part of the growth of this industry and this art form. But again, as long as comics are collectible, people are going to, people are going to want print as well. Right. I don't see digital supplanting the, the, the printed, the printed books. Well, I, I think if, if it, if that was going to happen, it would have already started to happen. And exactly, yeah. it hasn't. It's the exact opposite. So did AW. I read all my books, all my books I read on my iPad and my iPhone mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. I don't buy books because I don't read books. I can't walk around with a book in my pocket. I can't walk around with my phone in my pocket. Mm-hmm. But again, I don't read comics that way. I still buy comics in print. Right, right. Well, well, if you saw my apartment, you'd know that I still have lots of print books here. Did you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did um, did you did you find like you know the big log line of the comics industry really though during the pandemic is that it thrived? I mean, it was led by manga. Manga sales were up an insane amount. Yeah. But com every company I've talked to is like, yeah, our sales, you know, were up. Um, I mean, was, uh, you know, did AWA find sales success during this period? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say that, um, I would say that we expected the worst, and I think everyone expected the worst. I do not predict the end of the industry by a long shot. Mm-hmm. You know, again, there was a famous New York Times piece about, again, the death of the industry is imminent. Bullshit. I did not buy, buy that for a second. Yeah, I'm quoted <laughs> in there. Um, I said, yeah. I didn't go for it either, so yeah. Yeah. And by for a second, but I didn't expect the stores to be as, as resilient as they were. The curbside shopping was a really good idea. And I think people were home with lots of time to, lots of time now on, to, to, to kill, mm-hmm. unless they were parents like me, in which they had no time. <laughs> so they read more, I think. And, and again, having access to, a, you know, doing curbside shopping of comic books was a way to pass the time in, during these, uh, these big times. Right, right. And I mean, that's it. Everybody learned new skills. You know, yeah. uh, comic shops learned how to, how to do curbside shopping and how to have websites and how to sell online. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I think a lot of publishers also learned how to, how to reach their readers better. Um, you know, use the tools that they had. We all learned how to zoom. We all learned how to, you know, we all learned these new yeah. channels, these new channels to communicate with potential readers and customers. And guess what? We came out pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're, we're in different shape. I think that the industry is a whole more than held up. I, as I understand trade sales went up. If, if anything, tra- trades went up, mm-hmm. not down a little yeah, off. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think it's, it's good news for all of us in that regard. We should be part of ourselves. You know, I know that we're happy right now. We're, we're in really good shape. We've got wonderful investors. We've got a lot of confidence in what we're doing. And of course, one of the things that's really happening, helping us a lot is that we've had tremendous success in Hollywood with our stories, selling them as IP. We've only announced a couple of things, but there's plenty more to come. We just haven't announced them yet. Mm-hmm. So, so we're really up to a good start on that front as well. Right. Well, I mean, I, I'm doing a, a panel at, at San Diego Comic Con next month and actually in just a few weeks, which is terrifying, but, uh, that's called, uh, you know, Comics Survive the Pandemic. Now what? And, mm-hmm. um, I guess that would be my question for you is, you know, what is the biggest challenge for AWA uh, as we, as we face this, this new landscape? Well, I mean, I think the thing is there's so much going on out there. There's so much out there, you know, so many companies, 
Marvel and DC still still dominate because they've been around for decades. They've got big, big worlds that people already know about. So it's easy to reflexively go back and buy that stuff. The challenge for us is always is the exciting part. It's coming up with new stories that are exciting and being being amb- agile, which is what we are. Being agile and getting stuff out quickly, do we believe in? Uh-huh. With creators that we believe in. Um, so I think it's not so much a challenge as just being aware that you have to fight for every reader. Uh-huh. Yeah. But again, I think a good, sto- a good story is a good story. So I'm, I'm really happy. Like, you know, Marjorie Finnegan, my girlfriend, has sold extremely well. There's so much interest in Marjorie Finnegan as IP. It's, uh-huh. it's crazy. So again, it's really good to be in a position where you can count on having one place to make revenue is through the sales of your book and your trade, your comics and your trades. The other one is in the sale of the IP. And and the, the, the world is hungry for stories, uh-huh. for content. And if you can provide them with, with daring content, forward-thinking content, you'll get somewhere. Now, I kind of feel like, you know, I was forward-thinking at Marvel, at Vertigo. I was forward-thinking. At Marvel, I was forward-thinking. I did stuff that other people weren't doing because I, I, I could see a world in which we weren't just selling to fanboys. You understand with uh-huh. the verified taste, and so seeing seeing the success of some of the ideas I was behind at Marvel on the big screen, and seeing the success we've had at AWA with selling IP, is got me feeling very optimistic about our future. Well, well uh, you know that said, um, I mean there are a lot of companies that have sprung up in. I'll call it the streaming era. You know, obviously we we are entering a new phase of the streaming era with with Netflix. Uh-huh kind of shutting down a little bit. I'm going to stop because there's a siren that's pretty loud. This happens all the time in Second Avenue. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of companies and one of the first questions I would get is, why will you guys, why are you guys different? And the difference is a lot of things. It's the pedigree of the, the talent, the editorial staff, the people in, in charge, and also the fact that we're not just a publisher, we're a studio. Uh-huh. We have AWA Studios Head is Zach Student, who works Hollywood. He's he's a, a veteran Hollywood producer who knows the game. He knows how to he knows how to work this such that we are not at the mercy of Hollywood because mm-hmm. it's very easy to get raped by Hollywood. Right. You know, get an option, nothing gets made, or lose any control you have over your over your IP. So we're very, we're very we're very uh, careful to have the right plan for every 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 book. We've got a different plan. Uh-huh. You understand? And a different, a different approach. With old haunts, we're, we're getting behind old haunts. The book by Rob Williams and Ali Masters that we hired a, a, a breakout screenwriter who's a magnet for uh, in Hollywood to to an adaptation of the, of the story he's done, and we go to market we go to market with a really cool package that people are going to want uh-huh. beyond, now, just, yeah, beyond just the beyond the comic book. You know, you mentioned Marjorie Finnegan. That's Marjorie Finnegan, time traveler, correct? Yeah, uh, which temporal is by criminal. yeah te- te- temporal criminal, which is by Garth Ennis, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's, it's Garth Ennis and Garth Duca. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, again, two uh, you know tried and true creators who oh, anything they do is worth worth checking out. Um, and it has a great title. And you know, Axel, I was going to say that there are a lot of companies that have uh, started up in what I would call the streaming era. 
And, you know, we know. I mean, I'm not going to name names, but you and I both know who who I'm talking about. Yeah, that sprung up over the years. And, you know, really, we're just doing comics to try to get movies made from it. And they didn't always treat the creators all that well. And, um, and, you know, if I would to talk to any of them though, they'd always say, oh, but the story comes first. The story comes first. And, you know, sometimes it didn't. Sometimes these were not really great comics. But I will say, I give you credit. I mean, I know that anything that you have a say in is going to be a comic first, uh, because it has to be. It's just none of these. I'm I'm a comic book editor. I'm not a Hollywood producer or director. I, I create comic books. It's the art form that I love. I love the creators I work with, so I get behind the right creators for the for books that I believe in. And at the end of the day, it's about the quality of the comic book. That's how I'm judged, mm-hmm. not by a movie that's made off of it. So for me, it's all about taking taking a pride and satisfaction in making a really, really good comic book story. Like Marjorie Finnegan, I'm very, very proud of that book. Very proud of that book. And again, it'll, I, it'll no doubt one day be a big movie, some blockbuster, but I'll be proud of the comic book I've produced. Mm-hmm. Right. Regardless. And, and that is what really, um, like I said, it's just different channels because, uh, we see, you know, Umbrella Academy just started streaming the third season on Netflix and we see the sales of the graphic novels, uh, the collection yeah. soar. I mean, every time one of these, these streaming shows hits, that's really yeah. closely based on, the material, it, it, you know, the boys, the boys is a huge, um, hit, you know, talk about Garth Ennis, yeah. you know, um, Remender's Deadly Class when it was a TV show, mm-hmm. took off my career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It all does. Yeah. Everything gets elevated by, by the adaptation. I mean, Chariot, which is, which is, which is bought by Warner Brothers in the bidding war, and it'll be directed by Joe Kaczynski, the director of Top Gun Maverick. When that comes out, that, that comic book is going to be. Of course. You know, you go through the roof. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which is ironic and, um, in that, you know, I think Marvel. So I, I'm going to ask you one direct question about your time uh-huh. at Marvel that I would never yeah. have had a chance to ask you while you were working at Marvel. So what was the approach to trying to capitalize on the popularity of the MCU in terms of, of sales of comics and graphic novels. Cause, you know, to be fair to Marvel, it's not that easy. Uh, you know, you have 60, almost 70, you know, 60 years of continuity. You have all these different creators, all these different versions. And, you know, you can't say, it's not like the Umbrella Academy or, uh, Marjorie Finnegan. You can't, don't just say, oh, yep, this is the book. This is the one. You know, with Marvel, you had all this material and, I think it seems to have been very difficult for Marvel to capitalize on, on, you know, well, yeah, cashing the in. The irony is that you've got a, you've got a, a movie opening to millions and millions and millions of viewers, but your book sells in the tens of the thousands. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But the thing, the thing is that, uh, I never really worried too much about that. My job was to make comic books that were dynamic and that maximize the potential of the characters themselves and the franchises themselves. You know, mm-hmm. and the thing is, um, for me, it was all about that. I, I was I was shackled as, in regards to X Men, but as far as everything else, I just went, I went crazy. You know, mm-hmm. the, the the important thing to Marvel was the Avengers, and for, as you know all too well, for a period of time, the Inhumans mm-hmm. initiative, <laughs> trying to make the humans big, which is I never really believed in that, but again, it was my job to try and, and do my best. <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, you know, Marvel was always trying to find a way to find a way to get people to sell Spider-Man to come and buy more Spider-Man comic books. But again, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. You get the, you get the halo effect of the movie for a little while, 
but beyond that, it didn't really contribute to the to the sales. Yeah, but you do I see think it has more bearing in creator owned. Right. And I recommend it was a friend of mine when when the Deadly Class became a, a TV show, the graphic novels just sold through the roof. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, if you're a creator owned person, you've got a book signed through the roof like that. It's it's, it's big. If you're yeah. tens of thousands of copies of Spider-Man, Spider-Man, so that yeah, there's but there were a couple of things <laughs> that definitely did you know cross over, um, like Infinity Gauntlet. You know that is still to this day uh, one of their best sellers at Marvel, and um, yeah, and also Civil War. You know that which is Civil War informed obviously yeah. a lot of the MCU and so and again you had like really important creators, you know, really good creators on that. I mean Mark Miller. Uh, controversial figure, but with Civil War, he definitely touched on something, even though in the movie it got kind of reversed. But, uh, Infinity Gauntlet was by Jim Starlin, obviously an incredibly yeah. important creator. So, you know, I think with the material, uh, was strong and kind of recognizable, there, it did connect with, with people who wanted to read the story, you know? Yeah, I mean, Kevin had to make decisions about what clay to keep, what mm-hmm. clay to discard, and what yeah. clay to reform. Yeah. When he made when he made movies, and I understand the decisions are getting made, because sometimes stuff in the comic book needs to be translated, needs to be adjusted to be able to make it to the big screen, you know, and to keep a, keep a, you know, the four quadrant audience that you're desiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, uh, you know, that brings us back to to your your current gig at AWA as chief creative officer, and well, you know, one thing that is, um, absolutely obvious. To, to me and to Hollywood, even to studio heads, streaming heads, network heads, is that comic book creators, they really do function as an incredible source of ideas. There's just so much creativity among comics oh, yeah. creators. And, yeah. and, and, you know, why, why do you, th- I mean, even somebody like JMS, J. Michael Straczynski, you know, who is a showrunner, you know, he, he ran, you know, a, a cult TV, very influential cult TV show for five years. Um, but he still loves doing comic books. Why do you think people? Yeah, keep- I mean, Joe Straczynski makes a fraction of his market value <laughs> doing comic books. He does comic books because they saved his life. He loves the art form and he, he essentially cannot live without doing them. That's the reason why. Mm-hmm. Not because it gets a paycheck, because it makes a lot more doing doing screenplays and, uh, and TV. <clears throat> well, why do you think? Why do you think? Why do you think comics? You know, why do you think people can't resist making comics? Well, I think part of it is if you grew up reading comic books and you loved them at an early age, it doesn't go away. But secondarily, it's such an immediate art form. You know, Garth Ennis writes Marjorie Finnegan. I read it. My, my my editors read it. We give notes. It goes to an artist. The artist draws it. The colorist colors it, and it's ready. Mm-hmm. There's not 50 people in the room giving notes. Right. And give, well, how about you do this? How about you do that? It's a very immediate art form. And then also, a few months after the issue is drawn, it's, at, it's, it's seen by the world. So, and it's a different experience than anything else. It's, it's not a novel because it comes with images attached. It's not a movie because you control the pace of your experience and you read. It's not a passive thing to read a comic book. You control the speed. You can linger on a panel, on a page. You know, again, it's a different experience than anything else. Right. And again, you know, people people like Garth and, and Joe, they love this medium. They're good at it and, and it's been good to them. Mm-hmm. So let's stick it around. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny you, you mentioned that because, I mean, I read a lot of comics on my iPad too, just, you know, from the space factor of yeah. living in my... Of course, yeah, yeah. But that said, so many times it'll be like, oh... Um, you know, who is this character? And then, you know, you can go back. I mean, it's pretty easy to go back yeah. on an iPad, but I, I just, I do find it so much easier to flip through the pages of an actual physical book when I'm trying to see what I missed. You know, you can always be like, oh, let me look at the inside cover again. Um, <laughs> where? So there's something about reading a comic book or graphic novel on paper that just can't be duplicated on a screen. Yeah. You know, the feeling, the sensation, even just the feel of it in your hands. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. The clarity of the art, the clarity of the art. Yeah. So again. <clears throat> no, it's true. You know, I think digital is going to be part of our growth. It'll be part of our survival. There's only one, only one element of, of, of our, our future. Yeah. So Axel, it looks like we're, we're running out of time here. So just, uh, to wrap this up though, what, um, what's, what's, uh, the, the, the thing you're most excited about or, you know, plug a couple things that you're super excited about that are coming out from AWA in the next, uh, next few months. Well, uh, in stores now coming to who's the next month of the book will hit me by Krista Faust and Priscilla Prietas who drew chariot. It's an amazing, uh, crime story about a sex worker in Atlantic City during the decline of Atlantic City who's a witness to a murder and runs off into the night with a bag of diamonds and gunmen on her trail. And it's about how she survives the night and outwits her, her pursuers. It's the girlfriend experience meets after hours mm-hmm. meets, your, meets your Jimbo. <laughs> All right. It's, it's, it's really, really, really fun. It's a great also, lot. Erratic is, com- Erratic is coming out. We started talking about but Curry Andrews is a, a really fun other end of the spectrum. Again, it's, a, it's, a, it's an all ages read about a young kid, Generation Z, with superpowers that only last for ten minutes a day. Mm-hmm. So he's got to he's got to time it perfectly to survive and mm-hmm. save the world. Right, right, right. It's a really fun, accessible read. It should be fun for anybody that's a fan of Spider Man or Robin or Young Heroes. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, it sounds like you have some really uh, great stuff coming out and uh, continuing to come out. Interview me in a couple more months, and I'll have more to talk about. Some <laughs> stuff looming at the end of the year. I'm very excited about, but I want to. We haven't announced it yet, so I want to have it, have it announced first. Right, right. Well, there, as we like to say here, there's more to come. So, um, yes. definitely. So, well, Axel, this is great. It's great catching up with you and, um, as well. yeah, always good. Always good. And, and hearing what's going on at AWA and, um, sounds like things are going full steam ahead. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah. We're in great shape. Really, really good shape. We have Matthew Anderson has come in as our CEO. He headed Roku. He's amazing. He's, uh, he's got great ideas. To, take us into the future so i'm very excited about that as well so let's, let's definitely do this again right yeah absolutely cool. but uh as take we care. say there will be more to uh-huh. come